There are a lot of people who lie and get away with it. Over the North Atlantic, toward the east coast of the United States. President Kennedy died. This week on Inside Jobs, Brian, Jean, and Lee investigate the story of Exodus. The exodus of the Hebrews from Egypt has been a fundamental element of the Jewish religion, culture, and tradition for centuries, yet scholars remain skeptical that the event ever truly happened. Was the exodus simple propaganda, or was it inspired by true events? Joining me to discuss the exodus are civilian investigator Eugene Blame Him If This Episode Sucks O'Neill. <laughs> Hello. And conspiracy expert Lee Golden. Shabbat shalom, gentlemen. I'm historian Brian Lane. Welcome to Inside Jobs. Guys, it is great to be back in the recording studio, a.k.a. the desk where I spend all my time anyway. Uh, talk, talking to you guys over the internet about some real shit. It's been a while. It's been a while since we studied another Jewish conspiracy, which this <laughs> is like the grandfather of Jewish cabals. Right. Well, isn't it, isn't that essentially in our in our like uh, a pre episode like episode zero uh, of this show? Uh, I believe Lee made the comment that. The Jews are responsible for all the successful conspiracies. Right. So, in a way, we've covered a lot of Jewish conspiracies on this show. Well, Jack Ruby does not know where he was on the day of the Exodus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's weird with all those cops there that, that Ruby was able to get through that. To the Pharaoh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, but no, uh, it's been a while since we've recorded. We had a week off because of uh, Gene got sick and it was a disaster. And then we found our uh, la- lost Marilyn Monroe episode, uh, which we decided to put out even though it wasn't very good. And I'm sorry for that. Um, but now we are back in the studio and we are ready for a great topic. How, do you, how are you guys feeling after our break? Um, I'm uh, I'm ill. I have a okay. bad cough uh, and uh, sneeze, so I sound my voice sounds like Joni Mitchell's later records. But I am <laughs> refreshed in spirit. Had a great Hanukkah. Oh, you just, you're just coming off that Hanukkah high. You just got all those sweet presents. Uh, yes, wait. I gotta... you, you, the doctor said that your cough was going to last for only one night, but then it went on for eight days. Yes, it was the the phlegm miracle. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and Gene, you're doing okay? Uh, I'm the opposite of refreshed. I am disfreshed. <laughs> I am fully recovered no, from no, the no. sickness, Dis- but... Disenfranchised, Gene. Disenfranchised. You yeah. lost you were... your ability to vote. <laughs> yeah. You didn't have your ID, and uh, your name is the same as another criminal, the author, <laughs> Eugene O'Neill. <laughs> yeah, didn't he murder all those women? Yes, he was Jack the Ripper. <laughs> Uh, we should. Solved we probably should have. 
We just probably should have said that in our Jack the Ripper episode. Oh, but man. okay, let's uh, let's get down to work. This is kind of an interesting topic, uh, uh, especially when care- compared to other topics that we've done yeah. um, throughout the show, which have been you know m- much more common in the in ter- when you think of conspiracy theories, um, you know JFK assassination, nine eleven, uh, all those sorts of CIA and Nazi related things. But this is a much older story. Uh, and Gene, you were the one to propose it. So I think I want to start off, Gene, by just asking you why you got interested in the Exodus story and the sort of historiography about the uh, Exodus story in the first place. Uh, you know, even though I went to Catholic school, uh, I was never interested in the Bible. I found it very dry and boring and just... A list of who begat who and how long this guy lived. Uh, there was just very little in it I found interesting. And I just kind of associated it with like rote instruction and moralizing. Um, but then in recent years, I become really interested in ancient Israelite culture. Uh, in particular, as, as one is wont to do. Yes, and particularly Judaism, because, uh, you know, despite the fact that like atheists like to make the argument like, well, why is that, you know, why is your God any better than any of the other thousands of gods that, you know, preceded it or, you know, succeeded it? It's like, well, the answer is, is it's a very old God. And it did persist, despite the fact that uh, yeah. Israel was never a great military power. Uh, mm-hmm. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know if you know the this, Mossad, but Israel, <laughs> Israel is a very, yeah, didn't you see Munich? Yeah. We do have Sorry. nuclear weapons, but yes, back in the the BC era, we we did not have yeah. nukes. We just Ancient, had yeah. <laughs> we had that we arc had... with all those super cool Nazi killing ghosts. Yeah, you had the arc, which was like the original nuclear weapon. Apparently, that was the right. doomsday adv- device. Yeah, it just melts Nazis. Um. So you became interested in this story, and and I mean, I will confess, I am. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a non-religious household and I never really went to church and I, my, like my familiarity with Bible stories was typically from like, you know, casually watching the 10 commandments whenever it was on TV or the Prince of Egypt, as we were talking about earlier. Uh, and my assumption about this story and about, you know, most of the Bible is that, oh, it's just, uh, collections of mythologies and collections of stories that are so old that they, you know, probably didn't happen. Maybe there's a kernel of truth, but uh, it never really struck me as very interesting to uh, look at them until I went to college and I took this um, biblical narratives class uh, where the teacher sort of uh, told told a lot of the stories in various contexts from, you know, comparing the idea of some sort of deluge. Uh, uh, the essentially the biblical flood story to other catastrophic stories that happened in other mythologies, specifically like Central Asian Babylonian stories in you know Gilgamesh or whatever, and then the actual fact of some sort of huge rupture uh, uh, that preceded the Neolithic era when you know essentially the Ice Age stopped and uh, there possibly could have been this uh, this huge. Uh, environmental disaster that stuck in people's memories and came down to us 
through, for instance, the flood story. So I think that this story, while I have very little basis in it outside of the research that I did specifically for this episode, it it is a much more interesting story than I, I probably would have thought beforehand. Sure. And to clarify, um, Colonel of Truth, uh, he was a very important military leader in um, the Six Day War. <laughs> Wait, was he the one with the eye patch? Yeah. Yes, he was Moshe Diane. <laughs> Moshe Diane, that guy is crazy badass looking. Yeah, might be the coolest uh, looking guy outside of James Tolkien of Top Gun. Brian, to get back to your point, uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of overlap between. Uh, wow, Gene is on point this episode. I, I know. I'm, I'm, gonna try, I'm gonna be the serious guy today. You guys, you guys can be the ones who keep fucking me up. Okay, awesome. I'm gonna start. I'm just gonna be texting while you talk. Okay. Go ahead. Uh, there's a lot of overlap between um, ancient Judaic. Okay, it's, stop uh, knocking whatever you're knocking. Sorry, that's my elbow on the desk. Uh, <laughs> I thought you were jerking off to your own voice. <laughs> <laughs> I promise I'm going to say this fucking sentence one day. There's no, a... no, no. You should you, you should start off by because like for people like me and probably a lot of our listeners out there, they don't they probably don't have much of a biblical background. So, uh, I mean, what is what is the Exodus story? Uh, the Exodus story starts um, with Moses living in Egypt. It starts about 100 years after the end of Genesis when uh, Joseph, who is Moses' great-grandfather and kind of the last of the uh, biblical patriarch lineage, lineage going from Abraham to uh, Isaac to Jacob and then to, uh, then to Joseph. <laughs> This is the this is the starting lineup of the 1996 Lakers, right? <laughs> Larry Bird. Uh, there Moses. was a uh, there's a famine in Canaan, and basically, what is Canaan? Canaan is the sort of unincorporated region between Egypt and Mesopotamia. It's uh, like the Levant. The Levant, yeah. Uh, it kind of it, it's basically. I guess for what is, some, what I guess is known for, today is like West Asia for like a world. I, I guess it would be kind of like the uh, what was that? What was that region constantly under like kind of constant uh, strife between France and Germany, like just for centuries? Palm Springs, uh, Alsace and Lorraine, I think. <laughs> yeah, Alsace, yeah, Alsace. It was kind of like the Alsace and Lorraine for uh, between Egypt and what would be. You know, all the Mesopotamian kingdoms from Sumer, Sumeria to Assyria to Babylon. Um, so it was it would have it was under constant conquest. It, there was uh, some periods of um, peace, and that's probably where Israel was allowed to flourish. But sorry, anyway, uh, anyway, there was, according to Bible, a famine uh, in this age at the time. And so the Israelis migrated to Egypt. Um, mo uh, the pharaoh was supposedly becoming alarmed by this surging Israeli population, so he orders that all the firstborn sons are to be executed. Moses' mother hides him in a uh, some sort of like basket and sends him up the Nile River. And the daughter of the pharaoh finds this uh, baby and raises it as his as her own. Um, Moses is somehow aware of the fact that he is an Israelite. Even though he was raised as an Egyptian in the Egyptian pa in the Egyptian palace, uh, and one day he sees uh, a Jew being beaten to death by his slave, or sorry, just being beaten by his slave, and then he in turn 
beats that By a slave uh, master. The slave, sorry, yeah, he sees a slave, a Jewish slave, slave beaten, beaten by his Egyptian slave master, and uh, he in turn beats the slave master to death and buries his body in the desert. Is um, this the plot of Twelve Years a Slave? Is that what that movie is about? Haven't seen it, so I don't know. Don't want to make a racist <laughs> joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on. So, so that's essentially the point where Moses like turns on his uh, assumed lineage, right? Mm. And he he feels very bad about what he did, and I think he also fears reprisal that uh, the Pharaoh's going to find out that he did this. So he flees into the desert, and this is supposedly where he first sees the burning bush. Uh, and talks to God, and God tells him that he is going to lead the Israel the Israelites. I'm going to keep confusing Israelis, which is the modern uh, day. Yeah, yeah. To clarify, uh, you're talking about like the Hebrews, yes, rather the than he- modern day Israeli, like a nation state. Right. So he's going to lead the Hebrews out of Egypt. Um, Moses returns to the Pharaoh to try to basically trick him into letting the uh, Hebrews go into the desert for a period of time so that they can have a feast, but he's really going to just to try to like, you know, get them the Bounce. fuck out of there. Uh, and the Pharaoh says no. So at this point, God starts inflicting plagues on Egypt to punish them. And uh, it's... Oh, right. This is the part where he floods every movie theater in Egypt with Magnolia, right? <laughs> <laughs> what the hell does that mean? Well, there's a there's a plague of frogs at the end of Magnolia. Oh, right, right, right. That's very good. Okay, I get it now. Yeah, I'll just edit in some laughs later <laughs> when <laughs> put this episode together. <laughs> but yeah, no. Uh, Egypt gets pelted by frogs. They get afflicted with gnats. Uh, their livestock dies off. They get locusts. Um, Dogs and cats le- living together. Masks. <laughs> this is a legitimate question. Uh, uh, is this part the part where the Passover story happens, where the all the firstborn uh, children in in Egypt are going to die or be killed by some angel, and so the yes. Jews put the like, lambs, put a mark the lamb's blood uh, over the uh, the doors to to mark for the God's angel of death that uh, that you know leave us alone, which is, is actually um, in terms of the historiosity of this the story is is probably something that that came out of something that that Jews at the time of the writing of the the Torah were actually doing um, as a ritual um, that kind of got incorporated into this story so then after the, all these plagues what happens uh, after all these plagues the Pharaoh finally allows Moses to let his people go um, and they start to exit egypt but then the pharaoh relents and starts to chase after them and they apparently catch up to them at the red sea or the sea of reeds depending on which part of the bible you're reading that's kind of a contradiction in the bible um moses part whoa 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 whoa. you're saying there's a contradiction in the bible gene that's yeah there's there's one i think you really want to think about that before you say something so controversial (laughs) so controversial (laughs) oh and this is also where the the this Go is ahead, also Lee. where the uh, the matzah, the the flat uh, cracker bread, uh, comes into play because, according to the lore of Exodus, uh, the, the the Hebrews did not have time to let their 
um, bread rise before they rolled into the desert because they were afraid that the Pharaoh would change his mind. And so they had their unleavened crackers. Um, and luckily, they had a bunch of peanut butter and margarine so they could make it taste good during the uh, Passover week. God. So the Pharaoh catches up to them. How, at, uh, Reed, how many Reed Jews Pollock. had to run back to Egypt because they were afraid they left the oven on, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the Pharaoh catches up so to them. So the Pharaoh catches the up to them at, at the Red Sea. Moses parts the waters, and which allows the, the, uh, the Hebrews to pass through. But then once the Egyptians start to pass through, the, the waters drown them all, including the Pharaoh. Uh, mm-hmm. So you could say this is the original Red Scare. <laughs> and the only people that were spared were the people on the Universal Backlot Tour. <laughs> <laughs> but then the animatronic jaws took them out. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, okay. Uh, okay. So that is, and then after they've crossed the sea and they've uh, gotten away from the Pharaoh, what happens? Uh, they wander in the desert for a few months. Um, and then Moses has... His first, well, I mean, not his first, but in the desert, another meeting with God. Uh, he has multiple meetings with God, and this is like a game. God always like, wants to do lunch, but he never, he'll never green light your picture. He just kind of wants to flex nuts about um, how powerful he is in the studio system. Um, Moses goes up to the mountain to get the Ten Commandments, and while he's there, the that's where the last is. blockbuster is. While he's up there, the whole golden calf incident occurs, which is basically his brother caves into the demands of the people to give them something to worship, and he gives, and so he makes a golden calf, and uh, which uh, is Aaron. Cons- what did I say? Oh no, you just said his brother. I was just clarifying his name. Yeah, sorry, his brother Aaron. And uh, so after the golden calf incident, Moses talks to God on top of the mountain and receives the law. Correct. Yeah, receives the law, including you will worship no other gods, and because of that, the Worshipping of the golden calf is an apostasy, which is strange because it wasn't a law yet. Uh, Moses goes down and commits. But they should have known better. The first of several genocides um, by the Jews. So many genocides uh, in the Old Testament by the uh, Hebrews. Um, Let's see. And then uh, the and then the Jews are basically they wander for forty years in the. uh, uh, Sorry. God promises to Moses that he will uh, give them a promised land if they live in accordance with his laws. Um, and from that point on, they wander the desert for about 40 years. 38 of those, it's not like a real wandering throughout. Uh, the last 38 of those 40 years are spent in one area, which is called uh, Kadesh Marnia, I believe. Um, and then Correct. they eventually... Yeah, it, was a, it was an oasis. Wait, they were... They were in Narnia? Yes, they were in Narnia. <laughs> they found a I think a it's, it's Barnia with a B. Barnia, you're Barnum right. Barnum and Bailey? Kadesh Barnia. Yes. Thank you, Lee. I'm glad I have you here. <laughs> it's um, the only time now... someone's been glad to have a Jewish sidekick. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then uh, after 40 years, they, I believe it's Moses' brother. Moses is getting kind of weak and old by this time. And uh, it's his. Well, he's brother. over hundred years old. Yeah, and it's his. Uh, I think it's his youngest brother Joshua, who basically uh, they storm the walls of Jericho and slaughter the Canaanites. 
Uh, canceled the show, but due to a letter writing campaign, they brought it back for another season. <laughs> yeah. uh, and then long story short, they get their Holy Land, which Moses never lives to see because of, yep. uh, well, because on his, on his last day before retirement, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Finish it. he could take it down. <laughs> yeah. Basically oh, what happens is, uh, Joshua, uh, calls Moses and says, Moses, it's your brother, Joshua. You knew that you know that new promised land you've been looking for? Listen to this. Bingo. Oh, I love Back to the Future jokes. Yeah. Um so they so they essentially find their their promised land. And isn't this basically the end of the Bible? Or I mean the the end of the the Pentateuch. Pentate- mm, how do you pronounce it? I mean uh the Da Vinci Code. It's the end of the <laughs> but he'll be back in Angels and Demons. <laughs> yeah, no, that is uh, that is essentially the end of the Pentateuch. Yes. Oh uh, no, sorry, not the. Ah, oh, God, I forget if uh, Solomon and David. I know Solomon and David are not. I don't think aren't mentioned in the Pentateuch. Okay. Um, but so that's the end, end of the five, uh, the the five fundamental books of the yeah, Bible. That's, so that's this story. Ended, yeah. This story comes at the end of all of the other, you know, Genesis, the flood story, all of that stuff. Yes. And then the so then the controversy that we're trying to talk about today is where Did does this, this shit story really <laughs> where does this story come from? If it is based on real events, um, is there archaeological evidence, or has the story been, uh, you know, have have flourishes been added to the story? Uh, for some purpose, or if it's made up out of whole cloth, um, does it come from another mythology? Did did they make it up for a purpose? So I think uh, if you'll allow me, I'm just going to prod you with questions, Gene. Um, and why sticks. don't you <laughs> and dildos? Yeah. What is? I think the archaeological evidence one is probably the the easiest question to talk about first. So. How many Jews were there? I think I read that there were like 600,000 Jews uh, supposedly um, yeah, traveling about. with Moses in the desert. Well, no, okay, and, and Yeah, I mean, according to Exodus, uh, and then it's also backed up by the Numbers chap, uh, book of the Bible, it's 600,000 men. That is not counting women, children, non-Israelis yeah, that's listed. the accurate way to count people. Yeah, just count the adult men. <laughs> Uh, well, I was, I was, as I was reading about this, I was thinking about other, you know, huge groups of moving people to kind of put it into context. And, uh, the thing that I thought of because I'm a a nerd is the Sherman's March to the sea. Mm. And that was only 60,000 people. Yeah. Uh, And that's the most amount of people that can march at once. Yeah, so we're talking about a a group of people that is at least 10 times that size. Yeah, and that's what we'll... Go ahead, Lee. Go ahead, Lee. Yeah, I mean, the, the, basically, they the estimates they've had is, is like about two million people, and the thing is, there was only like three million people who were in Egypt at the time. So basically, it would just be like two thirds of the population just bounced, and there's just there's no evidence of that number of people in the desert or that number of people leaving Egypt at any at any point. Yeah, even if it was six hundred thousand, that would have represented a significant um, exile from. Egypt, which yeah, there's. Uh, I guess if you want to, I mean, just th- just thinking about the industry that a country would lose, uh, 
you know, the the ability to have workers, the ability to have things done, and especially if they're slaves performing yeah. things, it would seem like Egypt would immediately enter like a huge, and their king is gone, their executive is gone. Um, no one's going like to make Egypt, locks. <laughs> Egypt would enter a lengthy period of economic collapse at that point. Right, and the exodus is dated to be sometime in the 15th century. Uh, BCE. Yeah, the, the kind of canonical dating is based on, uh, in the Bible, it says uh, that the exodus occurred um, 450 years before uh, Solomon's temple was erected, and that was dated to be about eight fifty or 950 BC. So then that would put us, you know, yeah, probably the middle of the 1400s. And this is when Egypt is at the height of its power. Uh, we don't see a lapse in its power there's no and there's no record of uh you know a great number of people leaving or the uh, if you would consider this like a defeat of the egyptians the egyptians probably would have at least spun this as like well we didn't like lose some people we were trying to keep we expelled you know banished them yeah yeah we yeah. banished some unwanted we made them go the through the stargate <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then on top of that, like, have they found – I would imagine there would be Jew- Jewish artifacts and, uh, you know, evidence of campsites along yeah. this journey through the desert. Have they found DVD any copies of Annie Hall. <laughs> <laughs> Empty bags from Katz's Deli. Yeah. Um, no, they're – uh... returns. <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, Israel Finkelstein, who is like the head of the archaeological department at Tel Aviv. I am talking like this so you guys can keep interrupting. Jennifer Gray. (laughs) (laughs) Israel Finkelstein is kind of like the Dr. Indiana Jones of the University of Tel Aviv. Just very respected Mm -hmm. archaeologist. He's done... Uh, he is basically tossed over uh, areas mentioned in the Bible, particularly uh, Kadesh Barnea, which, yeah, just really no record of these people at all. And I guess primarily you would be looking for uh, non, I guess, like you wouldn't, like basic, what, non-pig bones, Lee? That's that's like a sign of, of Jews. There are no pig bones <laughs> Used. Yeah, that's always yes. a sign of Jews. There have been no pigs. There have in this been area. no pig boats. No, there was no charts. evidence. No evidence of kvetching has been found anywhere in this area that dates back to that point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't remember exactly the things that archaeologists look for specifically to show evidence of a- ancient Jews, but uh, Norman Finkel or sorry, uh, Israel Finkelstein says he's turned up nothing, and this is a guy that basically set out to back up the story of the Exodus archaeologically. And he ended up coming out with the opposite conclusion, which was that there, there's, it's not that there's evidence against it. It's just that there's no evidence that supports it. So by the way, the best Jewish name ever is real Finkelstein. (laughs) (laughs) No, we decided earlier it was Moshe Dayan. Oh yeah. Well, he's the coolest Jewish guy. Right, right. Um, so if there's no archaeological evidence, then is, wouldn't it follow that this story is simply made up from nowhere? Uh, uh, not Brian, ne- n- no. 
<laughs> can we can we wrap this episode up now? <laughs> Uh, not necessarily. It would follow that it's completely made up. Um, I would. I, I think my argument would be that it's just it's still such a singular event in the consciousness of the Jews that some sort of paradigmatic shift ha- had to occur. Um, they just identify so strongly with the Exodus and their national consciousness. Yeah, Brian just turns on it. Brian, here's what happened with the evidence. So Finkelstein was out in the desert with his dad, and they found the evidence that proved Exodus happened. But they, the the old knight there warned him that he could not bring it past the Great Seal. Um, but then Finkelstein's Nazi girlfriend brought it past the Great Seal, and uh, you know there was a big earthquake, and the evidence fell uh, right at the the edge of this cavern. Um, and he was grabbing onto his dad's um, arm, reaching. For the evidence, and his dad said, "Finkelstein, let it go," and he let it go. Man, when Gene chose the topic for this episode, he chose poorly. <laughs> <laughs> it really did. Oh man! But I think the Gene, what you're getting at is that the Exodus story really is the the defining story for um, the Jewish identity. Um, so much of what the Jewish identity is is based in the the Exodus story. Um, and the, the idea of overcoming suffering, of being the chosen people, um, and having this covenant with God, this, um, monotheistic relationship with God, um, and a historical relationship with God. Um, and, you know, I think that what you're getting at is even though it's not necessarily a real story, I, I think it's like, it's very real to a lot of people because it's such a defining moment. And, you know, just from, like I said, like as a total outsider, the part of this that is so interesting to me in terms of a a, a foundational story is that it is predicated on, uh, if not the Red Sea part and the slavery part, but the uh, delivery of the law. There is a a legalistic element to the story that seems to be very important to the, uh, you know, Jewish self-origin. Yeah, Moses's mom really wanted him to be a lawyer when he grew up. So that's basically (laughs) what it's about. Oh, boy. Um, So, yeah. So, so Gene, is that some sort of prompt for you to to start talking about where it came from? Yeah, I I think if we're going to examine the sort of historicity of the Exodus, really the only place we can look is at the Bible itself, because there's really no extra biblical references to the Exodus. No. Um, and there's two ways. There's to look other at the Bible. historical stories that people say might be the origin of the Exodus story, but I'm sure right. you've gone into that or you've had some info on that. I, I mean, one one thing that certainly hurts uh, any claims of historicity with the Exodus is that for the long time the Bible has claimed to be like isomorphic with authentic history. Um, a tradition developed that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible, even though it doesn't really say this. In the Bible. Uh, and, and it includes his own death. Yeah. And it includes his own death. Somehow Moses was able to write about his own death. And he wrote about a lot of things that just didn't even exist yet. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of anachronisms in the text. A lot of anachronisms. Yeah, yeah like uh, <laughs> under, <laughs> under the sea proms that right. didn't exist yet. Well, that's the thing is that the electric guitar that Moses plays during the Enchantment Under the Sea dance 
um, was not invented until 1959, and Exodus mm, takes place in 1955. Interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah, there's mentions of camels uh, in Exodus, which weren't even domesticated yet at that uh-huh. point. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, right, so if you... Well, I mean, then that goes to, like, how was the Bible written? Yeah, if you're taking the Bible as fact, and then you start to find these anachronisms, and you go, oh, okay, well, you know since adherents pretend that this you know all this stuff absolutely happened and there's no historical evidence of it well then it must be completely made up um but uh if you try to look at the at the true authors of the bible and what would have informed their authorship of the bible uh you might actually get something closer to uh the exodus as a historical moment this would probably bring me to the documentary hypothesis of the bible which was that the bible had multiple authors from different regions from different times in each kind of advancing uh, a religious slash political agenda Um, of that given time period yeah basically like uh, someone created a a google doc and gave everybody um editing permissions and just kind of let it roll yeah, there's uh Well that that was that was I mean that that is a, a an analogy but that was going to be my next question. Are you talking about actual authors at different time periods or are these people acting more as editors editing together pre-existing stories? Um the documentary hypothesis uh as popularly kind of or as putatively held um posits five authors of the Bible and that theory held strong for a long time, and it's still kind of the, cent- the jumping-off point for any kind of uh, critical scholarship of the Bible. And we kind of now know that, well, each of those authors were probably also subdivided into their own authors, uh, but at least had a kind of unified political-religious agenda. Um, so when you're saying authors, it's more like groups of people. Yeah, and the Screen Actors Guild has, like, really... Or I'm sorry, the, the uh, Writers Guild has, like, very specific... Um, guidelines for you know who wrote what portion of what script and who's going to be credited in the final film yeah it's an arbitration nightmare (laughs) yeah exactly (laughs) so what are what are these five which of these five authors worked on the okay so there's uh well i mean almost all of them uh Mm -hmm. the five authors are are divided into the j author except ben affleck (laughs) just put his name on at the end (laughs) <laughs> yes, there's the J author, the E author, the D author, the P author, and then Ben Affleck, and then William Goldman did the rewrite. <laughs> <laughs> Uncredited. And they so, brought in so that guy we... who wrote Crash to sort of spice up the uh, the dialogue towards the end. Why Why are they referred to by letters? Uh, J stands for – okay, so what people started to notice is that there was a lot of um, – doublets in the bible just like a story and then a basically a repeat of that story but it would be told slightly differently uh a good example is uh in take the genesis uh the creation story um it starts off with a a transcending god uh kind of orders the universe from nothing and then he creates the earth uh and then he populates it with plants and animals and then he he just basically by by his word, um, invents man and woman. Um, and then right after that, you have a more anthropomorphized God who lives in the Garden of Eden and from the dust creates Adam and then from him creates woman and then gives them uh, chickens and 
plants to play with. Plants to play with. Plants to play with. Is that a reference to smoking that smooth, smooth kush? Yeah. yeah there wasn't a lot to do back then. This was before iPads, Brian. Oh, fuck. People played or with Or Samsung plants. Galaxy Note. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that was the thing. Um, is the original Ten Commandments were written on two uh, Asus uh, tablets, um, and they they were originally broken. And um, Moses had to go to the fries at the top of Mount Sinai to get another one. Man, that was the best fries theme of all. The Mount Sinai. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, much better than that Aztec theme or that train station theme. What a California specific yeah, which we're just really half-assed. Um, uh, so, so you have my grandfather, by the way, had an that... idea of creating a uh, high-speed train, and all of the stations would be the Fry's Electronics across California. <laughs> okay, that's, that's, sorry. Uh, let's try to pare down these jokes because this is getting interesting. Um, uh, that's not yeah, a joke. So right there, we have two creation stories that are told differently. They're much different in tone. You have a transcendent god versus a, a god that's basically just another guy. Um, and, uh, but, but, but why I, 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 when you told me this off mic before we even recorded the episode, I was sort of baffled. Like why retell the same story differently? If you're a later author, why don't you just edit out entirely the earlier story and then make it what you want to be only once? Yeah. Okay, you're basically so saying, here's... what's the point of dirty does in Havana nights? Right. I'm basically I mean, saying, what's the point of minutes. what's the point of the two Jakes? Yeah. So, uh, in our in our overlapping sort of creation stories, uh, in one story, God is referred to as Elohim with an E, and the other one, he's referred to as Yahweh. Uh, yeah. With a J, because the guy who came up with the theory was German, and Y makes a J sound or J makes a Y sound. Yes. Uh, yeah, and when Israel Finkelstein was trying to spell out the name of God um, to get the evidence that Exodus happened, he accidentally stepped on W and almost fell into an endless pit. Oh, I'm so glad somebody made that joke. <laughs> okay, good. So, so, so there. These are named after different aspects of the theories, or different. The 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 letters are named after different aspects of. Uh, qualities to the supposed authorship. All right. Well, see, here, here's where it begins to sort of reflect uh, the state of things in ancient Israel around the 10th century. Um, Israel had, was kind of two kingdoms. It, there was the northern part, which was Israel, and then there was the southern part, which was Judah. Um, which was and Florida. They, which, yeah. Which both, <laughs> both populated by Hebrews. Um, they both had somewhat of a common lineage, but they had different versions of their own of their own story uh so that they they both write about exodus um they both write about the flood but they both tell it in much different ways so you had probably a very strong oral tradition developing separately two strong oral traditions developing kind of semi-independently of each other yeah um, jewish girls do love giving head yeah. <laughs> what the hell is that Oral tradition, Jesus. Oh, God. Um, so that by the time you had anybody that starting to write this down and edit them, you couldn't just, you know, well, I'm going to cross that out and keep this story because uh, by the time you these two, uh, you know, like it's held that King David united the two territories in the 10th century. Um, so by that by time, you might... By cutting a baby al- in half. Yeah, you might already have... 
two separate oral traditions that roughly tell the same story. But if if you start telling it and you leave something out, you know, you're in a public square and you're telling the story, somebody from the from yeah. the area who got their part cut out is like, hey, wait a second, you're missing this. It's kind of like in the Iliad, uh, the Iliad, where just every Greek tribe has to be represented, and they all have their own god, and each god is powerful in his own way. Like cause every mm-hmm. god has to get his props, every tribe has to get has to get repped in it. Um, yeah, you can't just unite them under one. It's like in uh, a music video where you have to put in the obligatory shot of the drummer every once in a while. It's kind of like in Star Wars how you have to have. Han shooting first, or else all the old school Star Wars fans are going to get pissed. We'll freak out. Mm, yeah, we just reenact so, it with our toys, so we don't need to watch the movie. <laughs> it's basically God. like if you if you're like reading a, a story to your like son to make him go to sleep at night, and uh, you know he's heard the story a bunch of times, and you're trying to just get the little bastard to bed, and you skip over a couple pages, little fuck's gonna know, and he's gonna call you on it. Yeah. It's exactly like that. It's exactly <laughs> uh, like that. Uh, no, no, no. But but so uh, these five different authors that are working on the stories in the Bible are essentially just translating oral traditions into written accounts. Yes. Um, and then when we, by the time we get to Exodus, you start to see some uh, great political differences between the J and the E authors. Um, the J authors likely came from Judah. Uh, the southern part of Israel, while the E authors would have come from the northern part of Israel, which is Israel. Uh, and Judah conquered Israel. So in a way, like their um, myth sort of took precedence. Um, but so so Ju- Judah conquered, and they were the ones that had Yahweh as the God. And they were the ones that had Yahweh as their God. The Israelite God was El at this point. And what is the difference between those gods? There isn't really a difference at this time. Uh, Jews are henotheistic, meaning they have you have your tribe has your own god, but you recognize that other tribes have their own gods, and or, and, the, and parts of Genesis reflect this. Abraham talks about makes a passing reference to how his brothers have their own god, and it's totally fine. Like he doesn't say it like, "Oh, my mm-hmm. asshole brother refuses to worship my god." It's just <laughs> everybody has their own god, and it's that's totally. That's totally chill. So His essentially, was the, a <laughs> so essentially, Elohim is the god, the monotheist, or the the singular god for one uh, group of Jews, and Yahweh is the singular god for another group of Jews, and they are understood to be different. Yeah. Correct? So, uh, the God El was a Canaanite god before he was a Jewish god, and. Uh, he was also he kind of converted when the, he got married. He was considered the Zeus, basically, of the gods. He was like he had seventy child gods, and Yahweh was one of them. Yahweh was probably like a storm god or a war god. Uh, but then, so since you know Judah and their god Yahweh starts to take precedence, the god El becomes incorporated. Like Yahweh is both elevated to the god El, like he is now you know head badass god. Um, where did I want to go with that? And he got so, incorporated uh, for tax purposes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so you have these two different tribes with two different authors for uh, a foundational biblical text <clears throat> looking to 
reconcile the differences. They have to reconcile the differences. So, like, now you get up to Exodus, and we have two ver- like two versions even of uh, Moses talking to God. Uh, in one version, he's talking to him on Mount Horeb. On another version, he's talking to him on Mount Sinai. And for a long time, it was just like, oh, these are probably just the same mountain, and they just mixed up the name. But it's no more likely just you had two traditions that an editor yeah. had to put together, and he can't he can't just cross out Horeb and write Sinai because, right. again, you probably have a tribe of Jews that are from Horeb, and it's like, hey, that's my area. I, that's only four miles from my house, you know. <laughs> I could see it on Google Docs or Google yeah. Maps. <laughs> In the E version of the story, um, God the, tells the version Moses, you can download on your Kindle. The e <laughs> so here's a big conflict between the J and the E versions. If you're a later editor trying to put these two together, uh, the J version always had Yahweh. God was always Yahweh, but in the E version, he's L. Um, what are we going to, or El or Elohim, what are we going to do there? It sounds like we have a different God. So they just write in, God tells Moses, my name is Yahweh. Uh, it was, I am revealing this to you for the first time. And my name used to be El. Abraham knew my name is El, but that was, uh, that stood for El Shaddai, meaning God of the mountain. It wasn't that other God, El you know, from way back when. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they they basically retconned it. They did a retroactive con. Totally, yeah, totally retconned it. So, yeah, if you're like an editor of the Bible, you're in this very awkward position of you have all these anachronisms and uh, contradictions in your face, but you can't cross them out because the oral tradition in uh, Israel is just so strong, you would never be able to get away with it. Right, so, so they had so to do Crisis that... on Infinite Earths to kind of clear everything up. Basically, yeah. <laughs> it's more of a secret wars. Um, so, so essentially that establishes um, a bit about how the Bible was written or, or compiled uh, from these different oral traditions. But what does that tell us about where the Exodus story came from? Well, I Very would say... <laughs> <laughs> the fact that you had two um, different traditions or different enough traditions developing means that it has to come from somewhere. You couldn't just have you, you. It would be believable if maybe one priestly class was able to foist upon its people some sort of foundational myth, but to have two priestly class, like separate priestly classes, foist two totally similar foundational myths on their people is extremely unlikely. So. Something so, so essentially, some, something had to inspire it. Something had to it for it to for them to be so parallel, right? Um, and even if most of the story is, dra- I mean, obviously there's a lot of dramatization in this story, it's like the parting of the Red Sea, uh, surviving like Charlton Heston, yeah, surviving in a desert for forty years with really no food or water. Um, Jeff Goldblum you, playing Aaron. <laughs> yeah. that was a total musical numbers <laughs> Yul Brenner yeah also Moses in the Bible has like a speaking problem Aaron always has to speak for him like Moses has like a speech impediment or something so he wasn't they had exactly to bring in Charl- Jeffrey Rush to teach yeah. him how to speak wasn't exactly Charlton Heston <laughs> Um, um. Yeah, but so how do so? So it's like even if these, if so it's like even if all this stuff is mostly made up or dramatized, it's not going to resonate with a community uh, unless there's some sort of collective memory that would identify with it. 
So then the the contention would be that the story is true and came from somewhere. Or or is it that there's another myth that is, you know, predates uh the point where we can point out its origin and we just accept some version of it as true. Um Okay, well here's another thing about Israel is that between the eighth century and then the fifth century, they suffered two basically massive destructions, uh, first by the Assyrians and then by the Babylonians. Um, there was an exile when they were conquered by the Assyrians, and then there was an exile when they were conquered by the Babylonians, and many Jews had they to flee. They fucked up our temple. Both to Babylon and to Egypt, uh, into Egypt. Yeah, they fucked up the temple. So th- that's kind of like one school of thought is that well, this exile was formulated. This whole story of the exile was formulated during these actual historical uh, exiles because the Jews could not come to terms with the fact that they supposedly had this all-powerful God that protects them, but they just got their asses handed to them by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. Right. And, and they're so, like, no, 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 no. It was our escape. We weren't exiled. It was an exodus. Yeah. The justification became, well, God must have been punishing us for not being holy enough. Right. Um, it was like, yeah, there's this there's this black eye I got, but you should see the other people. Yeah. Uh, Brian, earlier you brought up like there's a lot of like legalistic stuff in the Bible. There's a lot of codes. All of this stuff is post Assyrian and post Babylonian exile. So this is probably mm-hmm. a point where the Jews are taking a real long look at themselves in the mirror and wondering what they did wrong. And, uh, you know, in an almost PTSD sort of way, come up with all these. Uh, dietary restrictions and codes and rituals PTSD for worship. is like a great way to describe our, our culture. I mean, we've just like been fucked over so many <laughs> times that like, that's why we're so neurotic. I mean, that's why like, you know, like a lot of uh, Jewish people have eating disorders uh, in, in, you know, modern day because of like a lot of the weird guilt that was foisted upon us like in Hebrew school watching, you know, Schindler's List and stuff. Yeah. So, well, yeah, there's an argument that maybe these uh, exiles were the source of the Exodus story. I think more likely it only just sort of heightened or made it or made that story resonate more. Um, right. So you're you're contending that the that the Exodus story predates, like the the fact of in Exodus predates the actual exile period for the Jews. But yeah. then they looked back on their history and their their mythologies and embraced it as being much more important than before because it resonated more. Yes, yeah, that's, um, that's because we had an example of a successful exodus. Like here, you know, we were exiled, um, but we found our holy land because we followed the codes prescribed by God. And we've lost those ways now. And that's why we suffered these defeats at the hands of Assyria and Babylon. Interesting mm-hmm. side note, too. Uh, and so according to some of the texts, uh, what they, when they first escaped from Egypt, they actually like made their way to Canaan. Um, and then Aaron was like, no, dude, there's giants there. Let's get the hell out of here. And then that's why they <laughs> wandered around for 30 years, just like waiting around for the giants to die. Um, <laughs> Everybody which is, knows giants only live 30 years. Which it's is a basically real Logan's Run situation. Right. That's, that's why my Oakland Athletics were just biding their time for the Giants to die. And then we'll get another uh, World Series title. <laughs> oh, God. Um, but, but, so, th- I mean, that seems, uh, that seems understandable. But how, 
that, but that at the same time, that seems more like a cultural, like a spontaneous cultural event for or, a, 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 a huge community to um, ad, uh, ad, adopt this. What you were talking about earlier in the writing of the Bible about priestly classes, how is it that these elites decided on the story and then the Kohanim, the act- by the way, that's the the um, is that real class. or am- no, that, no, yeah, that that's real. real. So if you, if, okay. if you meet a guy whose name is Cohen, he's, you know, supposedly descendant from the, the priest, uh, the priestly cast. Oh, that's interesting. Cohen His father is Jason Priestley, is basically what that means. <laughs> His father directed Barton Fink. <laughs> um, the, uh, but, but so how did this priestly class decide on a legalist, a legalist, uh, interpretation of the story that they could then foist down on the people? Or is that just is that too vague or mysterious of a of a thing to to figure out from the archaeological evidence? Well, here's the thing: a lot of the uh, legalist stuff comes in Deuteronomy, and the D author is considered yeah. the Deuteronomist author, and he comes much after, much later than the J and okay. the E author. Um, in the seventh, sixth uh, or seventh century, King Josiah is the king of Judah. Now, at this time, um, Judah... I'm sorry, I should make a correction. When the Assyrians conquered Israel, they they conquered just northern Israel. Judah was spared. And Judah kind of considered that like a validation of their version, sort of like of their kind of version of ritual. Mm-hmm. Um, their temple was protected. Uh, and I think that kind of like emboldened probably Judah a mm-hmm. little bit. And uh, at this time, a priest by the, a high priest by the name of Hilkiah, quote unquote, discovers a lost scroll in the temple, might have fallen behind a bookshelf, um, and it's basically <laughs> the chapter Deuteronomy. And it, it, or maybe Gene found it somewhere on his uh, desktop as he was cleaning it up. <laughs> yeah, who's that lost he found scroll? It in his porn folder. <laughs> <laughs> Nrop, N O N R O P. Yeah. <laughs> Prone. Um, <laughs> so the high priest finds uh, this chapter in the Bible that he says is written by Moses, and it basically details uh, like what is it like the something like six hundred commandments that basically Orthodox Jews six hundred and thirteen six hundred and thirteen. This Lee, this distinguishes Orthodox Jews, right? Uh, yeah sort of i mean yeah so there's all the we think of the ten commandments the basic you know thou shalt not kill you know don't fuck your neighbor's wife and all that shit um be nice yeah the commandments Uh, that we don't actually follow yeah (laughs) those and then there's like there's all these other ones it's like you know thou shall not lay with thy beast of burden and uh uh yeah the, the the mitzvot basically you know god's will all these things that uh no no animal fucking which is why all the yeah, basically, Jews it's like, to shell that's why it. reformed Jews like me are like, you know what? Uh, I think we can. I don't think we we could we could stay with the the top ten, the Letterman commandments, um, yeah. and then we'll uh, we'll just assume that the cow fucking is not kosher. Okay. <laughs> um, right. So you have this chapter that outlines all these new rules that weren't really known before. Uh, it also centralizes religious power in Jerusalem, which is the capital of Judah. Before then, it was kind of like you could worship anywhere, but now it's saying you can't do that. You have to do all of your sacrifices here, 
which is something that would only swell the power and wealth of the priestly class because you got to kick 10% of that sacrifice down to, you know, to the priests. <laughs> yeah, basically. All of those franchises out there that were claiming to be Weight Watchers um, were, were not. So you could be following like the basic Weight Watchers point system, but you couldn't get your little award unless you came to Jerusalem. Yeah. Um, what a weird reference. <laughs> Just so, in case my family's ladies are listening, which they are not. <laughs> so would it be safe then or uh, or inaccurate to refer to this as a a propaganda, essentially? Uh, probably, yeah. Um, that was not a yes or no question. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Uh, no, I asked, uh, is it... Is it okay to call it that? Or oh, is it, is it okay? I mean, it's very, it's it's very hard to deal in is. absolutes, I mean, with this kind of history stuff. Yes, right, it, it, it is. It's absolutely it is, difficult to deal in okay, absolutes. Okay, it was not safe to say that it was propaganda up until the 19th century, because then the church just had people who did that either executed or threatened with execution to retract such claims. Um, <laughs> it is now safe to say, yes, that that is Because we live in a free-ass country. Yeah. Well, then, I mean, is it intellectually uh, incorrect to make an analogy between the writing of uh, these books for these purposes and what we understand modern day as propaganda? Yeah, yeah I, think, uh, I think you're right, Brian. I think if the two options are well, – let's go by Occam's razor here. If the two options are um, it's some propaganda or it rained frogs, I'm going to go with propaganda. <laughs> I'm just going out on a limb there, bro. Well, Gene, you know more more about this. Like, what? How is it spoken about in uh, sort of academic circles? Yeah. Well, I mean, the D the D author seems to be one person. I mean, uh, one of the guys I've been reading, uh, Richard Elliott. Wait. Friedman, so you you want the D or you don't? I, I want it so bad. <laughs> um, the D author seems to be the one. The D person author as seems to be to one person. Uh, the way Dan Brown. The way Deuteronomy through the next several chapters in the Bible that or books in the Bible are written, it seems to have like kind of one singular narrative and style. Whereas the J and E authors definitely seem to be more of an accretive, um, you know, style in themselves, definitely stemming from an oral tradition. And it's just harder to ascribe propagandistic, um, kind of ages to the J and E authors, just because they would have been, built so slowly over time and more peer response like you have to yeah the deuteronomy version obviously was kind of written from the top down here are the new laws and kind of in the wake of the assyrian conquest people were kind of ready to receive you know any kind of new magical rights that would ward off so it's like on the one hand while judah had the sense that like oh yeah we're you know we survived because we're better, they also like were kind of like, oh shit, we just saw Israel get the shit kicked out of them. That could happen to us, you know. Yeah. So they were also at the same time ready to kind of ramp up their game ritualistically. And the part well, where I mean, Tim Curry we're... comes out and says, "Or it could have happened like this," was added for video cassette release. Uh that was great. <laughs> That's um, a clue well, reference, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yep, it was wonderful. Uh, I thought it was a Home well, Alone I mean, reference. <laughs> my proclivities in studying history in like any of these other episodes or any of the other te- uh, topics that we look at, uh, my uh, my tendency is to look at power 
um, like a, a authority, uh, especially government authority, as something that is trying to um, buttress itself, essentially. So it, it, it's confusing to me, and maybe I'm just misunderstanding you, when you say that these um, the J and the E authors sort of rose in a more natural way, as opposed to being a, an elitist's or or an elite group's um, method of accumulating more power or accumulating more authority over a large swath of people. So d- does that does that make sense, or am I misunderstanding you about it? Yeah, I mean, I think that would reflect the kind of the change in style and tone and, and purpose of each. Uh, Deuteronomy was written out; it wasn't a, an oral tradition at all. Um, okay, all this everything that was in there was basically unknown. Until the scroll was discovered, whereas J and E, uh, right, were steeped in a very kind of strict oral tradition or their own oral traditions, but, respectively. But I mean, regardless if it if it is steeped in an oral tradition, the uh, the fact that you finally have these two powers with priestly classes that are writing down this oral tradition for the first time. To me, it seems natural that it would follow that these classes are writing it down for the express purpose of solidifying it and making it their method of controlling or, uh, you know, making laws for a larger group of people. Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, that's totally correct. Uh, Yeah. I guess, yeah, in every instance where where the parts of the Bible were actually written down, it was to basically buttress the power of... The class that was writing it because even with the j and e sections those the actual authorship probably came from priestly classes uh the j section the israel section would have been written by or no i'm sorry the e section by israel would have been written by the levites uh and then the j's would have been written by the god the aaronids i think they're called basically they believe themselves descendants of aaron while in mm-hmm. the north they believe themselves descendants of Moses, and you can yeah, kind of so see all these tribes of Israel, and you know one of them obviously like went off and became Islam supposedly, but we're, we're all part of these different tribes. Yeah, and um, in the the people that descended from Moses, they emphasize Moses more uh, in their you know sections of the Bible, while uh, the Aaron, you know, Aaron is emphasized more in the uh, J sections of the Bible. So then basically what you're seeing between these differences in uh, the different authors is uh, somehow an actual limitation of power where the class or the elite group, whoever is writing the J, the E, the D, the whatever, um, are limited by the public's... uh, not to sound weird, but like the public's faith in elements of the oral tradition that already exists. Like the right. power can't just write it off whole cloth starting over. They have to use this story to their own benefit. Right. And at the same time, they sort of uh, try to limit the powers that they're writing against. Um, so earlier when I said like Judah kind of when Judah conquered Israel, um, the people that were writing the Israeli sections of the Bible were kind of marginalized, obviously. 
because yeah. now Judah was the now Judah was the religious center of this united Israel. Um, so, like in there, and so in like the E versions of the Bible, there's like no mention of the Ark of the Covenant at all. Whereas, right. well, there's the in, old Russian saying: um, "History is written by the Wictors." Yeah. <laughs> Shit! Jesus Christ! Oh fuck me! Uh, you know, and then in like, but then in the other version, the ark is all like it's carried in the desert, and the Israelite, the uh, Israelites never win a military battle without it. So, like in each section, you see them, both parties, sort of pumping up uh, their um, kind of rituals and rites, and while either dismissing or just not even mentioning the uh, sort of like, you know, fem- the uh, phenomena. Of the rival uh, priestly class. Well, I mean, I uh, uh, I might have just gotten lost myself, uh, but hopefully this will clarify for the listeners too. Is it your contention, Gene, that the kernel of the Exodus story comes from uh, the exile period or, or one of the exile periods that um, some of the tribes of Jews experienced in Central Asia or like in Mesopotamia or... Do you contend that the original kernel comes from something more distant and possibly another faith or another mythology or an actual real event? Um, you know, Israel Finkelstein posited that uh, rather than just coming from Egypt and then conquering the Canaanites, it was more of a slow migration. And the the ancient Hebrews were probably just the lower class of ancient Canaan. Um and yeah, maybe that's that could probably be the origin of the Exodus story. Like these people who identify themselves as like a lower class, and they come from a place where they were the lowest class. And uh, it, I mean, it is a super politically convenient story, right? And you know, you have the, you have to have this promise that you know you're one day going to find some sort of purchase or some sort of privilege in this land where you're the underclass uh, to persevere. So really, yeah, the the kernel of the Exodus story might just be a kind of bedtime story um, for 12th century Israelite children. Um, so yeah, I, I, I didn't mean to argue that the uh, an Exodus from Egypt had to happen per se, but something that made... The ancient Hebrews, some sort of, some just, sort of migra- migratory event. Yeah, right a there. migratory event um, that would make the ancient uh, Jews just identify so heavily with uh, an oppressed class, or identify themselves as like an oppressed class. Because any, any kind of myth making you see anywhere else, um, you're always the people in power. Uh, yeah. Sorry, you're always the people in power when you create the myth? Right. Okay. Um, or when you solidify it, at least. But I think you're right that it's basically a bedtime story that, uh, you know, Peter Falk told to Fred Savage, and it's you know, <laughs> been solidified by him. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to resist all the Princess Bride jokes I could make. They would yeah, all be terrible anyway. Yeah, let's bottle um, dig here. So... So you're you're saying that to uh, not really summing up because I feel like there are elements that I'm missing, um, but the Jews or the Hebrews 
are a fairly diverse group of migratory people that had similar oral traditions. And when they settled in Canaan, these traditions eventually started getting written down by the various tribes. I, yeah, I would say as they forked between Judah and Israel, that's probably mm-hmm. when they would have started to separate and okay. get their own versions um, with, you know, one side. I don't know, kind of think of Jebediah Springfield and then uh, <laughs> <laughs> his cousin, John Shelbyville. Marvin um, Barry. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't his cousin. Shelbyville wanted to fuck his cousin. Oh, that's what it was, right. He <laughs> wanted to be able to fuck his cousins. Um, oh, it was his name was Shelbyville Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He uh, bought his so, cousins so, with some beads. So wait, so you're saying one group traveled somewhere and then separated is the analogy? Yeah, and they making. separated, and so they already had this. They already had kind of the stories of the patriarchs and the stories of Moses and the and the kind of memory of a flood. Um, but then, as they separated uh, over time, Moses was was elevated more in the version of one, and his brother Aaron was elevated more in the version of the other. Um, okay, well, here's the, I don't know if you want to maybe prompt me with something here. This is a point we can bring up. Um, there was a, uh, you know, there's like one school of thought that says that the Jews were basically just the lepers that were banished from uh, Egypt mm-hmm. at some point. Like maybe uh, it's like either the 15th or the 13th century. Um and uh, they would have been led by someone named Moses, who um, basically conceives of this, you know, protector god, and uh, re-remembers kind of like, yeah, retcons. This is instead of they were pur- you know, purged from Egypt. Uh, they them they kind of you know by their own force of their own will led themselves out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. So that they could be their own people, and uh, I, I think it was actually like Tacitus, the Roman um, historian, was like the first to come up with this theory that they were just lepers that were exiled uh, and then into the desert, and then someone named Moses or similar to Moses, you know, would have come up with all these basically, you know, rules for them uh, to kind of. Uh, like, I guess because they had this sort of, like, you know, memory of being leper. Like, okay, like, one thing I think Tacitus said was, I guess because pigs also could get leprosy, that's, like, one reason why Jews don't, uh-huh. wouldn't eat pork, because they associated it with, you know, their own kind of, like, leprosy was kind of thought, was, was heavily so eating associated a pig, with, it, it, what? Eating a pig is essentially a type of cannibalism. Uh, or you could just get leprosy for it. I mean, we'll eat a pork sausage. We just cut the tip off first. Yeah, not so much that you get leprosy from it, but just because leprosy was so associated with uncleanliness. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and that that's like maybe where these like kind of notions of like, you know, cleanliness arose uh, mm-hmm. with like the ancient Jews. So that's that's a type of uh, of uh, you know explanation that is not in the is not in the bible is not in the word that is an interpretation and lee was mentioning 
that there are these theories about the actual events in Exodus, like right. maybe it was a bunch of, of the yeah, maybe it was a bunch of earthquakes or volcanoes that caused the sea to divide. Yeah, there's and this what, researcher named Barbara uh, Siverstein who wrote this book called "The Parting of the Sea: How Volcanoes, Earthquakes, and Plagues Shaped the Exodus Story," and basically. It's just kind of this interesting set of theories about how um, tr- sort of trying to use uh, scientific evidence um, to prove that some of these uh, cataclysmic events described uh, in the Torah are, are actually based in some sort of historical fact. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard that before, that like uh, a volcano erupted and then that, that alone could have caused all 10 of the plagues because it would have contaminated the water and then it would have driven out the locusts and the frogs. Um, and would have caused the angels to murder the firstborn son. Yeah, and then <laughs> ashes would have gotten into the lungs of the people and then they would have gotten boils on their skin. And specifically, firstborn Egyptians were known to be susceptible to volcanic ash. How, how... And it would turn the river in Boston green for... Um... St. Patrick's, Patrick's Day. Day yeah. How, so how uh, worthwhile is that in terms of intellectual pursuit? Like, does that have any... Uh, it I seems like pop science. I would say less than worthwhile. Yeah, it <laughs> seems like a book that Peter Venkman would write. I, I, I think there's some... There's, I think there's something there to the theory that... Uh, and this was advanced more by one, brace yourselves, Jan Assman... <laughs> I was I was not thoroughly braced. I was not thoroughly braced. Oh boy! Um, that we the, get her on this show. It's a guy. I guess it's Jan. What? Jan ass. Whatever. Get him. Yeah. Get his ass man on this show. No, you are the ass man. <laughs> yeah, Kramer got his license plate. Wait, so Ass Man Man did what? Ass Man kind of further, he kind of ran with this theory that that the Jews were originally maybe just lepers exiled from Egypt for their uncleanliness, and they kind of transmuted this uh, kind of memory of rejection into one of like, oh, well, we were going to, you know, blow this place anyway. Um, She was a lesbian before she broke up with me. Yeah. But that would kind of explain that as <laughs> as they're settling into Canaan, um, they already have this mentality of being a lower, undesirable class of people that has to compensate by having the most powerful god. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in terms of summing up uh, this whole story and why it would be presented on a dick show about conspiracy theories... Um, it's it sounds like what you're what you're telling is and I, I don't like to keep harping on this word, I just don't have a better analogy, but like it does seem like the creation of uh some sort of propagandistic myth uh as I, as I was saying earlier, it does seem to me the way that you're presenting it as a as a as a as a weird form of propaganda, if not yeah, intentionally right. I, done. The conspiracy element would be like well Obviously, there's parts of uh, we can see the motivation behind a lot of a lot of stuff in the Bible serving a particularly a particular priestly class or, you know, a particular portion of uh, united or pre-united Israel. Um, But you can't just I would say that a lot of that stuff you can't just foist on a people wholesale. It would have to something there has to be a kernel of something that comes from somewhere. 
So that well, I would say that all yeah, all of the the Ten Commandments and all of the legalistic stuff and the miracle portions of the Bible um, were definitely probably came from a propagandistic um, agenda. Uh, right. The collective mentality of the Jews of one of being a lower class, a, re a rejected people, um, but that perseveres in spite of this because they conceive of a God who becomes gradually more and more powerful and more and more transcendent as time goes on. Um, I mean, if you look at any other empire, uh, you know, almost every time like a, a new, a new house or a new family took power, they always brought in their own God. They would obviously respect the other gods, but now their God was the kind of new King God. Um, so it's kind of like how in the comic books, Spider-Man invented his web shooters, but in the movie, they were just part of his abilities. Yeah, they were just part of his abilities. Um, the Jews, to their credit, they always... Like, Yahweh has endured, despite the fact that he's basically given them nothing. Despite <laughs> <laughs> the fact he hasn't delivered on any of his promises. He gave us Hollywood. Um, That's true. If I guess Steven Spielberg fulfilled the covenant. Portman. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Steven he made Spielberg that movie is the about a truck. Modern day Moses, yeah. That was a great movie. <laughs> yeah. What, Duel? Yeah, Duel. Duel, yes. Yeah, that's I just watched Jaws last night too. That fucking uh, holds up. Are those Man. movies or are those films? Those are films, my friend. Yeah, those, those are, are films. films. Um, so I mean, we're rounding the corner on almost an hour and a half here. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we decided so this we... is an inside job. Yeah, let's decide. I I will ask myself first, and I will say it does sound to me like it was an inside job. Um, the story that you've laid out for me, and kind of my knowledge of vague knowledge of these things, seems to, you know, it's not as simple as when at the beginning of the episode when I was just like, oh, this is just bullshit. There does seem to be a lot of uh, political maneuvering going on, but also the elements of division between the different populations d different jewish populations and the subsequent exiles they experience uh experienced uh, lead me to say yes inside job uh lee what do you think um yeah i think this is uh, absolutely an inside job this is like the original uh of my people's jew spiracies and I'm very proud of this one and uh as anyone who's like been to my site or seen my movie i you know that basically my barometer for was it actually a conspiracy is that at some point someone's going to come forward for a book deal. Um, and <laughs> basically Moses came forward and got like the best book deal of all time. I mean, it is, it is called the good book. Um, so, you know, by my conspiracy it's, barometer. It's like in the Muppets, they just wrote up the rich and famous contract for him. <laughs> yes, exactly. So by my barometer and also the barometer of, um, you know, what are the, what conspiracies uh, were the Jews behind the successful ones? Um, very successful. It's a great story. It's been several movies and uh, stage. And look music at the grosses. Yeah, look at the the stage musical starring Val Kilmer. It's the um, all time bestseller. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. I would say. So you're saying yes, inside job. Absolutely, inside job. Very proud of this one. And then Gene, who was the uh, successful captain of this episode, steering us through rocky waters towards yes. uh, calmer seas. Uh, what do you say? Inside job or not? Uh, I think it's a little of both. And we're out of time. <laughs> I, 
I think the le- <laughs> I think the codes, all the legal stuff, uh, all the miracles were definitely propagandistic or myth making. Um, but I think there's definitely a kernel of truth. Like there was a migratory people that had been disenfranchised, uh, that had to find purchase in a new territory where they were again, disenfranchised. And, uh, the Exodus story, you know, however much of that is true. Um, it resonated, uh, with that kind of collective memory and experience. I think that's a great explanation. No, 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 but you need to sum it up quicker. Inside job or not? No, it's not an inside job. Wow. Cool. So the guy who knows the most about it says no. <laughs> this, is, this is like a really awesome sort of like a foil to our normal format of Brian, you being in charge of the discussion. Um, and then and you tell us what to think. It's not an inside job. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's like Gene ruled this discussion, decides that it's not an inside job. I, I like this. This is fun. I'm stuck in the middle just uh, – Cracking wise and playing with the action figures on my desk. I had a great time. Just Good stuck job, in Dave. the middle with Jew. <laughs> uh, so uh, thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode. Uh, this was, uh, I thought, a great one. I thought Gene did a great job. Um, and I would welcome you, both of you, doing research for future episodes so I don't have to do <laughs> so it all do every time. Um, but no, I thought this was, I thought this was a great episode, and I thought it was a really great return to form for us after a couple weeks off. Uh, yeah. I apologize to the listeners. Right, I'm that, not going to toot my um, own horn too hard here. I think I, let, let's let the listeners be the, the the judge of this. Yeah, but I I just want to apologize to them that um, we did have a couple off weeks there with uh, no show, and then the shitty Marilyn Monroe episode. But we are back, um, and uh, we are excited because. On December 3rd, we celebrated our year anniversary, and we never would have kept. Yeah, we never would have kept going if Brian uh, finally let Lee and I do anal. (laughs) 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 Oh God! Thanks for pegging me, guys. Um, No, but we never would have made it this far if uh, people didn't respond to the show and write in. No, that's not uh, true. Call in. We could have made it this far without them. (laughs) But um, didn't do anything. What? They didn't do anything. They listened to our bullshit show. Yeah, if we had zero listeners, I doubt we would I still I would like to believe we going. would still be doing the show. Listeners or no listeners. Well, that's that's one man's opinion. Um, but <laughs> well, I let since I was kind since I led the discussion today, I get to decide uh, do we need the fans or not? Real quick. No. <laughs> I would say it is very hot in Brian's apartment, so we do need the fans. I'm going to say if we didn't have fans, we would never get emails like this one that we got from Benjamin. You would never yes. get emails. <laughs> this is a couple weeks old, so this happened back in November. <clears throat> Saturday, I was on a party bus from a football game back to the bar. There was some <laughs> drunk idiot claiming to be a baby child actor. He said he was the baby in Ghostbusters 2 and said something about how he and Bill stayed in touch. He was so two babies. Clearly... <laughs> oh, so the baby so... is grown up. This isn't a baby talking on the bus. <laughs> <laughs> nope. Remained a baby ever since 1989. Uh, so disease. he says, so, cle- so clearly bullshit. He also claimed to be the star of Baby's Day Out. <laughs> I jumped up and said, with real presidential candidate, fictional president, and DA of New York, Fred Dalton Thompson? Yes. And, he put the Dalton and he said, in there. Yeah, and he said, yes. 
uh, Benjamin responded, baby's day out is pretty good, but it's no, the two Jakes. (laughs) I then started laughing uproariously. Everyone turned and looked at me with concern. To ease them, I sputtered through laughter. It's okay. It's an inside jobs, inside joke. Which caused me to absolutely lose my shit. Like, I couldn't breathe laughing. Oh, man, this is like fan fiction. That's like a slash fiction uh, episode of our show. Well, the rest of the email details about how I let you guys fuck me in the ass. But, uh, but yeah, no. <laughs> that I thought, baby I that was... could not have been the baby in Ghostbusters 2 and Baby's Day Out. Those movies are five years apart. Unless yeah, he was this just this is... amazing, like, young-looking baby who could still play baby at the age of five. It's like the Gary Coleman of babies. By the way, um, interesting Hollywood the job, Maryland, Baby Wrangler. Meryl Streep of babies. What? Yeah, Baby Wrangler. That's a pretty good one. But then uh, we also got a, a phone call over our extended break, and it's ter- terrible that uh, it cuts out. So I'm gonna, just going to play it, and whoever called in, please call back and explain what we missed. Or we could so just here we have go. The, uh, the last guy who wrote in um, write the ending of the call because he's so good at uh, Inside Jobs fan fiction. Yeah, let's ha- I would open that up to any of our fans. Please write the missing portion of this phone call. Here we go. And then it mostly cuts out, and then hold on. My world. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to I'm going to say that at the very end he was saying rocked my world and was probably referring to the fact that he got lucky at this wedding um which i'm open to hearing about yeah i I think that he's probably referring to judith baker who like claimed to be oswald's girlfriend and has like written a a horseshit book about that Mm -hmm. but no it's really important that fans like that call in uh and and write us because it is uh it's fun to interact on Twitter and get emails. I just got an email from Nerdman from Twitter who is thinking about starting her own podcast. Nerdman. Yeah, that's her. Her name on Twitter is N underscore Erdman. It's Nerdman. It's a Jewish name. Yeah, Nerdman. Oh, um, but uh, I was but yeah, no, that you were really... talking to nerds for a second. <laughs> Other than no, us. I don't talk. I don't talk to anyone. Oh, yeah. But no, thanks everybody for listening. It's been a great year. I hope we have a great next, I guess, fiscal 2014. <laughs> uh, but uh, also thanks to both of you. Thanks, Gene, for uh, really uh, knocking it out of the park on this episode. Really great work. Um, I guess we'll be back maybe next week. We haven't finished deciding our schedule um, next week with a, another full-length episode. And until then, follow the shekels.
On November 30th, 2013, historian Brian Lane made plans with conspiracy expert Lee Golden to get drunk as hell in New York City. When Lee never showed, experts pointed to inconsistencies in his story and the possibility of a conspiracy at work. Joining me to discuss why Lee is a dick are civilian investigator Eugene, a true friend O'Neill. Gentlemen. And shitty friend Lee Golden. Yeah, what's up? I'm Man. historian Brian Lane. Welcome to Inside Why Lee is a Dick. Well, Lee, I have to. What is, what is your explanation for this? Brian, you since canceled on me. Brian, so, well, first of all, I have to live up to the um, the mythos of our podcast that that uh, everyone cancels on your plans. Second of all, um, as you know from uh, being with me during my college years, there are two Lees. There's Lee. Uh, and uh, he's my good side. And then there's Leroy, uh, who's my evil alter ego. Now, Lee was not in New York. Lee was like sitting at the car at the airport, um, being very patient and playing solitaire on his iPhone while Leroy was um, out uh, getting drunk in New York with uh, my sister and her entourage of insane friends. <laughs> yeah, that really sucked. But uh, I mean, in your defense... I was at my friend's birthday thing, and his girlfriend selected this place that was just like the yuppiest fucking place I've ever been in my life. It was like this real yuppie, kind of beer hall-y, shitty place that had only been open two weeks. So it was not, it was not a great time out. But I was also on the Upper uh, West Side, which is where um, rich, yes. powerful Jews spend time, and you were. Um, Somewhere. Hey, wait, let, let me be frank. It's New York City. They're spending time everywhere. <laughs> Ruling. I was down the street from Katz's. There are plenty of Jews there. Oh, okay. All right, let's start Let's start this episode for real. Those are Levites, <laughs> by the way, okay? They're a lesser oh, oh, cast. Okay. All right, let's start, start this for real. 